Do we want to do our, like, hi, how you doing banter on the recording? Or do we want to just actually sure. check in with each other? Uh, is there anything you want to check in off the record? Um, like, I had a really big, I got a really tall T today, but that can nice. go on the record if you want. Nice. I, I was already recording. Yeah, no, me too. Okay. So <laughs> just that... I'm like, just in case there's some kind of gem that comes <laughs> up that we need to make into the cold open, it'll um, be there. That was, a, that was a beautiful, uncut gem. So, a rock. It was a rock. Well, uncut gems are still gems. Yeah, but they look and, like rocks. And, cut gems, are, and cut gems are still rocks. Yeah, but nobody's going to call them rocks at that point. They literally do. Usage. They literally do. They, yeah, they do. <laughs> look, at the, look at the rock on that one. Exactly. Welcome to the Hamsteak Podcast, where we read Homestuck and tell you about it. My name's Alex, and I haven't read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I'm still going to say I super have, even though at this point, I don't remember half this shit. We actually have a question pertaining to that later, but let's start with the recap of what we read this week. Awesome. Um, like, the recap of what we read this week? You mean, like, like the body the, of the podcast? The body of the... Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Let's go. This one's so, kind of a bummer. So, Homestuck is a comic about uh, 16 kids. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so, we start this week with Tavros, and he is going into a flashback about the time that he... LARPed and had the accident. Yep. Because of course because of course if a character has a disability, they have to have, have that disability due to a horrendous accident and it has to be a major plot point. Right? Because people don't just like have lives, right? Outside of their To to disability. be fair to be fair, the the suburb players don't have lives outside of their um courses of life. They don't they're, have lives outside of their lives. Their predetermined actions. Like, I guess, but, like, that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't change the fact that this is lazy writing. Sure. Like, super lazy writing and, like, kind of, un, like, super undignified, like, handling of a guy who has a disability. Um, yeah, for sure. I don't know. Anyway, but we're going to tell you how it happened anyway. We're going to find out. So, yeah, so he starts out uh, in his room. And it is um, much neater than it is when we see him with his wheelchair, I guess because he just hasn't been tidying up recently. I think the implication is meant to be that he spends a lot more time hanging out in his room and, like, playing, like, Fidus Bond, like, games that, like, clutter it up, as opposed to, uh -oh. like, when he was flarping, he would, like, he, like, still played a ton of games all the time, but he would be, like, outside. Right, I see. Um, yeah, so they're, it's not LARPing, it, it is FLARPing, mm -hmm. um, which is considered a good name as opposed to Scrub. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so the way that this game works is, um, the Grub, because obviously a game comes on a Grub, uh... um, it, it lays some eggs and those hatch into, um, these pixel bats, which kind of act as the agents of the game mechanics, they're super cute. I they love are. them. Um, so, for example, the player gets a stat bat, 
um, which is really cute, and it just like displays the like your statistics, your statistics and stuff. Yeah. Um, but basically, this game has two teams of two players. Um, one player is the clouder, who uh, colludes with the bats to set up obstacles and enemies and encounters for the other team's players. The other player, the scourge. No, so okay, so there's two teams, and and in this like in Tavros's game, the teams are named Team Scourge and Team okay. Charge. So Tavros okay. plays with Aradia, is his teammate. And right. Team Scourge is Terezi and Arachnid's Grip, who I'm going to call Spider-Girl for now because that's a lot easier to say and, and clearer than trying to say AG. And um, so that's, that's, that's our teams. Team Scourge, the Scourge sisters is Terezi and Spider-Girl, and then Team Charge is Tavros and Aradia. And there's gaming flap distractions, and um, Tavros's Clouder is his teammate Aradia, whose job is to come up with um, like, the challenges, she, she manipulates the bats to, like, create the, the quests and the, the monster mm-hmm. challenges for the other team, and the and corresponding, also, what? Also, she is, like, friendly and, uh, emotive in the past. Yeah, she's, like, super sweet and charming. And lovely. Yeah. Maybe not, like, charming deliberately, but she's just, like, I am charmed by her. She's a sweet character. So, Tavros's corresponding clouder on the other team is Spider-Girl. Which proves to be really bad. Yeah. Um, it's like so she, real, real bad. Yeah, so she kind of backs him uh, with some monsters onto the edge of the cliff that he lives near. Right. And uh, to be fair, before we go into this, it is mentioned, Aradia points out to him, like, wow, Tavros, you chose a really difficult class. You won't get any good abilities until you level up a lot. Right. So Tavros is about to, com- to, to try and contact... Um, spider gal and be like hey I think these monsters are too hard like this doesn't seem appropriate um, for where we are in the game and mm, there's like it's she, she's manipulating that gray area of like he kind of chose a bad class so it's not like she's just completely backing him against the wall but she's basically backing him against a wall mm-hmm. um yeah and then she actually um so what happens is he tries to reach out to his other teammates who will, she she trolls him some for not wanting to engage in combat or flee like he feels very trapped because if he flees the whole like the teams will lose the game and that should have some bad consequences too because this is real life role playing and so he tries to contact Terezi and Aradia as well and they don't answer him so he's alone now with Spider-Girl and he's saying, I, I've looked at the numbers, like, my stats and this monster's stats, and, like, it's a literal physical monster in front of him. Mm-hmm. But he also can see its stats, and so he's looking at the numbers, and he's like, I can't, I can't roll. She's like, you have to roll. He's like, I can't, you know, there's no conceivable way to win. And she uses that as, like, oh, you're breaking the rules to justify um, mind-controlling him. Yeah, yeah so, which is also so the rules say- the rules. The rules say you can't use, like, powers that aren't from the game, like your own powers as a troll that you have, um, but she, uh, mind controls him, um, she, like, kind of worms into his subconscious and, like, preys on his insecurities, and then jumps him off the cliff. Yep. 
just flings him right off. Mm. Um, which is really mean because she's like, oh, you're, you're dressed up as Pupa Pan. You want to be Pupa Pan. You want to fly. Let's fly. Fly Pupa Fly is a, yeah. a line that's going to come back to bite us all in the ass later. Yeah. So she flings him off the cliff, and which is handled as like a funny gag. Um, like, it's in the sketchy, goofy gag panel art style. Right. But then the, uh, ensuing panels are not. Yeah, he, like, almost dies, and, uh... It's a, it's a deep, it's a steep fall. It's a steep fall? So, like, and here's a weird thing. He, like, I don't think Hussey literally bothered to learn anything about how, like, paralysis actually works, because you see Tavros, like, texting Carcat at the bottom of this clip. Yeah. This cliff. And it's like, my dude, he's like, I, my legs feel like I'm not, they're not there anymore. And I'm like, if you are so severely injured that you're paralyzed, I'm pretty sure you're like in, in shock. Like you probably, maybe you could be, maybe, because I'm sure someone out there somewhere, I guess, has had some kind of weird experience where this happened to them. But like, probably I'm pretty sure that that's like, you'd have a bunch of other really severe injuries and you would be passed out and in really bad shock and not lucid at all. Well, trolls work differently. Like, they do, uh, uh, but not when you're lazy. I get, an, I get annoyed, because he works really hard at, at, at making sure some of this stuff, like, fits together, and then there's other stuff that he's just, like, lazy about, and it, it's annoying. Yeah. That's just my pet peeve. I'm always going to complain about it when it happens. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Alex is like, and I will tolerate it. <laughs> no, it's good to... It's good to call the stuff out constantly. Like it, we need to keep him in line. Yeah, because Hussey pays attention to our critiques. Definitely, he's, he's definitely listening right now. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Drew. Um, hey, Big D. <laughs> That's not. It. Um. So Tavros texts Carcat about like his legs. And then Carcat's like, hey, asshole, stop playing games for girls, and hangs up. Which also doesn't make any sense, because I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but it's not really an important, it's not really a spoiler, it's just a thing we haven't learned yet, which is that, like, gender for trolls is super arbitrary, because of, like, like the way that they reproduce and everything, like, like, nobody's anatomy makes any difference in terms of how they reproduce, so, like, there's no reason for genders to, like, have emerged at all, and then there are genders, so, like, mm-hmm. that's fine, or whatever, but then, like, as we will also learn, like, their society has no real notion of, like, sex discrimination more generally, so, like, like, Carcat is a very isolated instance of, like, making a sexist joke ever. Right. Because none of the other characters, well, robot guy is super gross and sexist, but everybody else is pretty much just, like, they don't, like, gender isn't really a thing for them. Like, it never really comes up. So, mm. at least in terms of how they treat other people. People express gender in all different kinds of ways, but... Right. Anyway, laziness. <laughs> yeah. And then we flash back to the future, I think, right? We do. This is um, when Carcat is in the medium. Right. Uh, where AG, Spider-Girl, asks to join his team. Um, he says no. Because she sucks. Yeah. Um, she says, oh, well, I can, like, mind control you anytime. Uh, I just don't want to because your mind is, like, gross and full of garbage. 
Yeah, she's like, it would be like trawling through a dumpster. And Which is fair enough. Like, I, I probably wouldn't want to go into Carcat's mind either. No, he really has like a, a lot of baggage. Yeah. And, like, trashy rom-coms, remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I like, at one point, he calls her out, and uh, she she says something to him, and he goes, oh, oh, really? With a bunch of question marks. And then he says, wait, let me count out eight of the, these things. Hold on. And then he meticulously types eight question marks. There, I am now an enormous tool forever. Yeah. There's a lot of psychology here going on. So Carcat calls out uh, Spider-Gal for, um, he knows that she resents Terezi because Terezi is really good at manipulating people as well, but doesn't, like, have mind control, doesn't lean on it. Um, Mm. And uh, apparently there's a truce, there's mention of a truce, uh, which should force Spider-Gal not to mind control anyone on his team, which she promptly breaks because, uh, Carcat's insisting you can't mind control me, and he signs off. And then she makes him sign back on. Yeah. This is a guy that keeps coming back here in this reading. Of people signing off and then signing back on again immediately. Yeah. It... Oh, man. That, like... The dynamics of, like, people signing off and signing on again and, like, like the the conversational pragmatics of that yeah. are played for... Hu- like, will continue to be played for humor in increasingly complex ways later on. And it's... I'm excited. Which is another cool thing about, like, this medium that can't be duplicated elsewhere. Yeah, it's definitely a lot less funny when we're just telling you about it, too. Like, it, it really is very, like, text-native, but it's a mm-hmm. good joke. Like, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then the action text is, be the other asshole. Uh, and then it, the next panel is CTE Centaur Testicle. Um, oh my god. And the text and... is like... The text is like, uh, actually, let's, like, leave him for last. Please be anyone else. But, okay, so we get a view of his room, right? Mm, And I, like... (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, where to start? Well, he has many posters and paintings of, uh, muscle-bound, um, centaurs with, um... And, like, and just, like, anthro, like, furry horses. Yeah, who are muscle-bound. Uh, and with all, all those pixelated uh, junk areas. Yeah, the junkle area is uh, pixelated for the user's benefit, the reader's benefit, but but we are informed in no uncertain terms that they are, in fact, nude portraits, mm-hmm. which are supposed to be a very, uh, well, we'll learn more about that when we actually meet this guy, but so we got, we got naked-ass muscle horses, um, we got a million, like, busted robots. Right, yeah. We got, um, we got, like, a shorts and a tank top and socks, like, real high socks with sneakers look, which is super bad. Right. I should mention all the robots are, like, troll child-sized, kind of like Jadebot. Yeah. Um, they're his size. Yeah. Um, and then there's his Lucis, who is, like, a smallish centaur, and he has a mustache and a black eye. I thought that was a monocle. No, he has a mustache. Like an organic monocle? No, like that's a black around eye. Around his eye. Okay. Yeah. Like a, a flesh monocle. I think he also has a flesh monocle, but he definitely has a black eye. I think, Great. which which we will also learn about later, why he's all bruised all the time. Yeah. Um, and he also has an udder. He also has udders, which we'll also learn about later. Um, 
then the narrator is so eager for us not to look at this guy any longer that we get uh, an explicitly vague teaser um, of the final unseen troll who is underwater with a big golden trident um, hunting down a cuttlefish. Mm-hmm. And we see a, an extreme close-up of her face. Like, we see her eyes and nose, basically. Mm-hmm. And the top of her smile, which is really big, and her eyes are just kind of like... Gazing up full of wonder. It's cute. She's a very, yeah, she's a very happy, cute person. Um, she's got, like, a tiara with the Pisces symbol. She's got a magenta color scheme going on. Mm-hmm. I like this character. Nice. I'm, I'm excited to meet her. Cool, yeah, she seems cool. Um, From this teaser. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so now Ariata. Ari- Aridia? Ariana Grande. Ari- yeah. Is it Aridia? <laughs> yes. Okay. Aridia's, uh going back home to her hive uh she's riding she's uh kinetic telekinetically riding the giant uh stone frog head <laughs> i just that, so this just she's telekinetically ri- riding yeah the big giant stone frog head sorry finish that's it from the ruins right okay so i just realized that what this reminded me of because it reminded me of something and i wasn't sure what and it's spongebob squarepants <laughs> Oh my god. Do you remember? Yes. The stupid episode where they're where they're um they're delivering the pizzas and then they get stranded and then they're like, oh like they find the SpongeBob's like we have to find a rock to get home. A boulder. A boulder and the the pioneers used to ride these babies for miles and Squidward's like not having it and they get on this rock and it like zooms away for like no reason. Yeah. And it looks like that. It's like the same general shape and color and size. You're right. That's really funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, she returns home. Uh, she hasn't been here in a while. No. Uh, so, or she returns hive. Um, so her her hive is just kind of some rubble on the ground, overgrown with vines. Yeah. Um, surrounded by these kind of experimental archaeological dig pits that she's done. Yeah. Um, and we're told that she left her Lucis's corpse behind here. And that it was uh, left, wasn't buried, it was left uh, for the wild animals in the uh, Alternian way. Right. Which means that she does not have her Lucis around for prototyping. Right. So she is about to enter the medium, and she's mulling over all of the plots that she's aware of, and, and how she's she's fully aware that um, CT is about to... Um, pull off a power grab. She, she knows that her, her quote-unquote co-leader is about to pull a fast one and doesn't care. Yeah. Because that's, uh, she, she wants to enter second. Um, that's actually kind of all according to plan or predestiny or whatever. And, The um, voices, yeah. The voices. And, um, she also alludes to the fact that, uh, Blue Bloods do... As you say, like, Sutterfuge is what Blue Bloods do best, and it super is, and that's going to play out more just this week. Yeah. Oh, and there's no Lucis, um, so she prototypes with the frog head. Right. Yeah, she just kind of, like, dumps it in. Um, yep. And it's very big, and it's very funny. Yeah. Um, we so find out... Her, yeah. Her, her server player is Nepeta. Uh, who is watching this all unfold on her screen, and she's confused because uh, she doesn't really understand what's going on with the game. 
But more confusing is the fact that she can't see Aradia. Uh, she sees the frog head be lifted up and enter the uh, colonel's right. Um, but she doesn't see what happened until uh, Aradia prototypes herself because she is dead. Yep, she's been dead all along. Which she confides in um, Nepeta, and uh, which Nepeta like very gracefully accepts. Like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to take a second, so I want to take a second to run down the teams, and then we're going to talk about Aradia's land, and then we'll keep going. Cool. Okay, so the teams, because I keep getting confused by this. I was terribly confused by this while I was reading, and I had the luxury of reading the wiki, which if all of you are trying not to spoil yourselves, you don't. So whatever. The red teams, the red team members, there's six and six. Uh, red team is Karkat, Terezi, Tavros, Gamzi, uh, Grim Auxiliatrix, who is our, our friend with the chainsaw, and Spider-Girl. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and then the blue team is Centaur's testicle. He's our robot guy. Um, Aradia, Nepeta, Solix, and two trolls we don't know yet. The the, the uh, pinstriped one and the underwater one. Yep. Precisely. Um, so those are our teams, and then we get to see Aradia's land, which is the land of Quartz and Melody, and it's very one of the prettiest lands, but also very, very sort of hostile. It's, it's pretty in the way that, like, Antarctica is pretty, kind of. Yeah, it looks very, like, sparse and... Like, uh, yeah, I think Antarctica is a good it analogy. Looks, it, it looks like a fantasy afterlife, but like not a fun one. Mm-hmm. It's very like, um, like misty, and it like fades into the background. Right. Um, it's kind of like this, like, yeah, it kind of looks like dark blue ice, almost the quartz. Yeah. Uh, her title is the Maid of Time, like M A I D. Mm-hmm. And that's it so far. Uh, oh, the narration points out that uh, repeatedly, like, kind of bashes you over the head with the fact that it was apparently supposed to be very obvious that Aradia was, in fact, a ghost the whole time. With the whole, you know, she's been able to hear was she the dead. A go- was she a ghost? I yes. thought she was, like, a, like, an animated corpse. Like a zombie. No. she Like, that's why they keep saying, like... She was dead, like a ghost. And then, like, a page later, Nepeta is like, you were dead? Like a ghost? Or no, right, she was okay. like, you were dead? And Aradia says, like a ghost. But the point nice. is, she's a ghost. Okay. Or she was. Now she's a... a... Now she's her own sprite, which seems weird. Seems like that's gonna make things interesting for her to play. Well, after Dave's sprite, I'm not surprised. Like, yeah, but, like, I mean, there's, it's one thing to have someone around who is, like, yourself and a sprite, but it's another thing to, like, like, how can you be the player and the sprite at the same time? Like, how does that... Ain't no rule says a dog can't be the sprite. Like, yeah, but, like, again, like, it's less weird to have a dog be the sprite than to have yourself. Yeah, but ain't no rule says a player can't be their own sprite. There is, though. Well, I guess is none there? of the rules are really written down. They're all just sort of Im- imposed by actual limitations of the world. So we'll right. see how this plays out. I super don't remember what the consequences are of her self-prototyping. We'll find out together. Wonderful. 
Um, another consequence of Aradia prototyping herself along with the frog head is that she ribbits spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And she has like she has like frog hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, then the action text says, "Be the huge bitch," which is a callback to "Blah blah, huge bitch." Right. Which is just a, I don't know, a byline. It's a throw throwaway joke. Yeah. The huge bitch is Spider Girl. It's Briska. Briska Circuit. <laughs> And then finally, I, I wrote her name. I normally don't accidentally write characters' names as I'm mm-hmm. writing my notes. Like, I'm usually pretty on top of, in my brain, who we have met yet and who we haven't. But I wrote her name so many times this week before <laughs> we met her. So many times. I didn't even notice. Yeah, well, I didn't. I, I then backspaced it because I oh, know okay. that Alex sees my notes. Well, and because, like, I would confuse myself if I read the notes as I was doing this podcast, and I had her name in there, but I wasn't supposed to say it yet. Um, anyways, Friska, yeah. she really likes Flarp. Her whole room is full of two things, three things. Flarp, broken eight balls, and spider webs. That's it. Yeah. Um, so, in her accident, she lost her vision eightfold, uh, and she tries to replicate that by using magic eight balls, um, but she smashes them in frustration. And so there's eight ball corpses all over her floor. Yeah, and she like steps on a on a D eight or a D four, I think. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, same. <laughs> but with Legos as a child. A lot. Yeah. Right, yeah. And she's like, Oh, I'm so unlucky. Keep stepping on these D fours. Yeah, her luck like sucks. Like like luck is meant to be luck is understood to be very, very real, like and relevant to these characters, so, like, her luck is really bad, and that's important. Well, it's partly important because her spi- her strife specifus is dice. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, good rolls will, like, unleash magic attacks on your enemies. Right. Uh, and bad rolls, I guess, will not. Yeah, or they can damage you and, like, backfire. Mm-hmm. And so, she's talking about how dangerous it is. So, she... It, it's bad luck to, like, smash these eight balls, and she's uh, essentially addicted to, like, smashing them all the time. It's, like, her, her anger response lately. Mm-hmm. And so her luck is terrible, which means, like, she's boned if she has to fight her. So, like, that's partly why she's being so manipulative is because if she has to actually, like, fight someone herself, like, she will probably die. Right. Uh, so another couple things that we learn about her are, uh, we learn about her Lucis, right? Her Lucis is very demanding. Yeah, her Lucis, um, only eats, uh, young troll flesh. Yep. Uh, which means that she has to orchestrate the deaths of other kids to feed her Lucis. So, yeah, so that's important. That's an important piece of information. She's like a habitual murderer. But, like, like, okay, so here's the thing. She's, de- she's like, evil. She's, like, a bad person, right? <laughs> like, like she's a, she's a mean, bad, manipulative... Murderer. Murderer, super evil person. But, yes. like, we understand, like, it's not completely arbitrary. Like, this is why. It's not yes. justified, exactly, but it's... It's for a very concrete reason, which which is that, like, literally, this monster will go on a huge rampage, 
and potentially, like, abandon her to the elements or whatever, probably wreak a bunch of havoc if she does not feed it dead children. So, like, <laughs> troll society sure is violent, I guess is really all I'm getting at. Like, why... Yeah. Why would you assign that to be someone's guardian? Like, how is that not going to turn them into a horrible monster? Except probably by troll society standards, it's actually very excellent preparation. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's that's why Briska is so homicidal, is because she sort of has to be, but she certainly doesn't need to enjoy it <laughs> nearly so much as she does. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, we find out that, uh, when she gets worked up, she starts putting more and more eights in places that don't quite work phonetically. Yeah. Uh, which is relatable. I do that a lot. Just as kind of like jokes. You just throw eights in there? Like if it can replace a vowel sound. Like. Oh yeah. I get that. I notice how you do that all the time. (laughs) Like the word, like, like the word table, table. I can't... Okay, are you being sarcastic? No, I do that a lot. You... I've never seen you do that. I freaking follow you on Twitter. You... I feel it. I feel like I do it a lot. Or I don't, like, do it often, but I do it... I have done it several times. I'm gonna take your word for it, because I am not an observant person. But I do also want to mention that, because this is actually very important, it's a little throwaway detail, but this is super important... Remember this name. Um, well, it's not It's not exactly super plot important, but it's a thematic element that will come back later on. So her flarp character, because it is like role-playing, and it's like D&D. And so her character is Marquise Spinneret Mindfang, and she is a pirate. She's also, like, overpowered. She's like a Mary Sue character. Yep. Because uh, she, she has all the levels. Um, she has, like... 32,000 confirmed kills. Um, and Briska's like, oh, well, I wish I could be this character. She's so, she's so cool. Wait a second. I am her. Because it's literally just her. It's literally just her in, like, a pirate coat and right. um, a, a robot arm. But she already has a robot arm. Right. So it's just her in a pirate coat. Right. But she... Mm, that's a spoiler. Can't say anything else about that, but we'll okay. talk more next week about the okay. arm and the eye. Um, then she steps on a d4. We learn about her dice. And then, mm-hmm. so you know how, if you're not reading the comic, you don't necessarily know about this, but um, a lot of times if a character is getting contacted by someone via chat, it'll be drawn as a, a white pixelated chat balloon with their face or some symbol that represents them inside mm-hmm. of it. And... Riska has to quote unquote deal with this guy, and his chat balloon is blank. Yeah, which is um, a little ominous. It is, and his uh, text is plain white. Uh, he has no handle, uh, and he has no typing quirk. Yeah, it's super eerie. Like, like you, he has no handle, so his text is just. We've not seen that from any other character. It just appears in line, right. and, like, she makes a, a snarky comment to him about, like, how thrilled she is that she has to highlight all of his text again, and the reader also, like, the background of the page is light gray, and you have to highlight the whole yeah. thing to read it. And, uh, 
what's about what's happening in this conversation is he's giving as good as she like she she can't she can dish it out but she can't take it essentially he's being insufferable and manipulative and uh you sort of can't win with him because he's ruthless mm-hmm. but in like an entirely masterminded way like uh, in as many like to the extent that Vriska is like manic and like impassioned and excitable and frenetic about her being manipulative and uh chiding people this guy is like very very like precise and reserved and matter of fact and still Mm -hmm. totally insufferable and Vriska super can't handle it yeah um he he says just like straight up that he's been playing her like a fiddle like he compares her to an insect which you know it's better Right, with the implication is that she's known all along, or he's at least been telling her all along that she's being manipulated, and uh, mm-hmm. she just won't, she's sort of refused to accept it and still won't. Or right. he's put her in a position where she kind of has no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really clear how that relationship came about. Did he put her in a position where she really had no choice, or he kind of also implies that uh, she was very easy to manipulate because her temperament is very predictable? Um I think he uses the line, uh, yeah, vicious and predictable like an insect. If you turn a swarm of wasps on a crowd, the outcome is certain. Which right. is a, a badass line that I really like. <laughs> he calls her, he, he, he says she has an unpleasant, simplistic temperament. And um, and remember that her whole thing, we didn't say this, but her whole thing is she can mind control people that are impressionable. Mm-hmm. You know, that she like understands their weaknesses and, and she can sort of get in that way. And, um... And he's literally doing that to her. He's literally manipulating her in the same way, perhaps not even using mind control. And he, she just, like, can't deal. Uh, he says, this is the last time I'll contact you. I want to forgive you for your transgression. We don't know what the transgression was. And um, uh, I think you will see, if, if, this, if this goes well, you'll see your luck turn around. Like, you won't have such bad luck anymore. Uh, and also tons of bad stuff are about to happen and it's all your fault. But there's a silver lining, but you are not very lucky and you probably won't live long enough to see it. Hmm. So lots of foreshadowing. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird page. It's a super weird page. Yeah. So, like this person to me, seems like a completely different class of being from the trolls and the kids. Okay. Um, I can't confirm or deny. I'm just going to let Alex theorize. Sure. Because, like, he doesn't operate by the same rules. Um, And he seems to be kind of, like, mentally outclassing everyone we've met so far. As far Um, as we can tell, do you mean, like, because Vriska seems to be outclassing everyone else? No, no. Well, she doesn't. Everyone knows exactly what she's doing. Um, no, I just mean that like he's very certain of outcomes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, much more so than any other character. We've met. Yeah, he seems he seems to know exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like. He doesn't seem to uh, grandstand about it. 
No, not at all. He's just very matter of fact. Yes. But incredibly pedantic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so she's rattled by that. Yeah, to the point where she's too demoralized. Uh, she's been taken down too many pegs to even um, smash her eight ball. And instead she decides to engage with one of her friends who's trying to contact her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's G.A. Yeah. Uh, and G.A. asks Riska if her Lucis is dead. Um, and Riska says, no, why would you say that? Uh, and G.A. is like, oh, well, it's because mine's dead. Yeah, and we see her have the first, like, non, like, either, like, hostile... That's it. This is the first time. Yeah, Vriska reacts. This is the first time we've seen Vriska have a reaction that's not hostility. Um, And instead to say, like, she actually just says, like, oh no, like, I'm sorry. Like, she seemed cool. I was hoping to meet her. She's still a huge child about it. She's like, that's a cool consolation prize. That's a. GA says, oh, maybe you can still meet her. And, which I think she means as, like, I'll prototype her, which Vriska is not on board with that yet. Like, she doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily know that that's a thing that you can do. Which mm-hmm. kind of tells you how clued in she really isn't about what's truly going on here. But she says, oh, that's a great consolation prize. I can meet a, a big, cool, dead mother grub. Right. So, yeah, it turns out that um, GA's cool kind of, like, moth larva um, Lucis was actually a mother grub. Yeah. A uh, virgin, um, un non-reproducing uh, one. Right, she um she abdicated the job mm-hmm. of mother grub, which is interesting because like are they the same species as the That's mother grub? Like exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, um, I think there might be just I think it's like a symbiosis thing. Maybe I mean they they have the same horns. Um, yeah, same skulls. Like we've seen the giant skull. I bet um, you. I bet you they're related in this. Like it, it's like imagine if like humans and a different species of early hominid, like, develop some kind of weird symbiotic relationship. I, I don't think so. I think they're the same species. I think it's a polymorphic thing. Like, But, like, so then how is like that... She's, like, she's fed, like, she's fed, like, royal honey, and that makes her develop completely differently. Yeah, but how is, how is, um, how is she a Lucis, then? Like, that doesn't make any... Well, are all Lucises, like, confirmed to be the same species? That's true. You know, they're not. I think I was thinking of that. It's easy to think of them that way, and it kind of makes sense to think of them that right, way. They're they're like a they're like a class of. Oh no! Nope. They are Luci are explicitly one species. Uh, Lucis naturae. We are given their scientific name. So maybe this is a weird exception. Um, that's never really explained. So you can theorize about this however you like. Sure. I also want to point out that I don't I don't remember if this was ever made explicit, but um, the skull that was on the Doomsday scale was a Mother Grub skull. Yeah, we talked about that last time. Okay, yeah. I thought that was cool. That's it. Um, <laughs> then, uh, then they have a really interesting conversation where we, we like, Friska actually gets some characterization beyond, like, huge, manipulative, like awful, mean person, Mm -hmm. uh, she is actually pretty self-conscious about, um, like, seeming dumb and having things go over her head, and she seems to have a ton of respect for G.A., because uh, G.A. keeps coming through with, 
theories about what's going on, and Risk is like, that totally, you know, idiot girl has another question, and G.A. keeps being like, I don't think I understood what I said either. Mm-hmm. G.A. also calls her dangerous. Yeah, she says, like, you are dangerous. That doesn't mean you're not important. Dangerous people can be important. Ooh, you cut out for a second. What did you say? You are dangerous? You are dangerous, um, but that, that, that doesn't mean you aren't important. Right. She says, um, I want to read what she says, actually, because it's kind of kind of important. Vriska, Vriska's immediate response is to say, can it, which, which she thinks is funny, but... Um, she says, it's okay to be dangerous, lots of people are, and dangerous people can be really important, which seems sort of obvious to me, but whatever. Uh, maybe even the most important sometimes, but it just means there's got to be someone around to keep an eye on them. And if not me, then who? Everyone has an important job to do. And those last couple lines are a callback to Nepeta's relationship with CT, Centaur's yeah. testicle. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, but one... this relationship seems a lot more healthy. Yeah, for sure. Um in as much as any relationship involving Riska is healthy. Right. Yeah, GA is, like, on top of the situation. Whereas Nepeta, Nepeta is... Either way is n- fine. ...is uh, kind of not in control. Not at all, no. Yeah. At the same time, so... GA is not necessarily in control of this situation either. She's just not also under the control of this situation. And in- right, exactly. Like she she knows like she knows what's up, basically. Yeah, like Vriska gets angry with her and uh, and is like, okay, so if you're keeping an eye on me, why don't you stop me from doing bad things? Which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So what is it that she thinks is bad that she's done? Is she actually? does she actually regret all of, like, the murders that she does? Or is this more referring to, like, the transgression that we don't know about yet that has to do with the white text guy? Like, what what bad stuff I, is she worried I about? I read it as, like, things that cause her harm. Like, self, uh, self-damaging self things. That's like true. Stepping, like, stepping on dice. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, which, which GA responds to with, like... If I actually tried to stop you, you'd consider me an enemy and you wouldn't listen to me anymore. So I'm more useful if I just nag you. Right. Which is really strange because um, later on, kind of as a throwaway gag, we learned that enemies and friends are the same word in trolleys. Yeah. So I think that's a bit of inconsistency. It's a ton of inconsistency. I actually, I in my notes, I have a whole thing about how I could probably literally do an entire special episode about, like, that stupid throwaway line, because, like, it sort of makes sense in the, the general thing that they're trying to get at, which is, like, boy, troll relationships sure are antagonistic. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yes, but at the <laughs> same time, like, friend and enemy meaning the same thing doesn't compute with just how language is used in this comic. Like, friend and enemy are explicitly treated as meaning different things by the trolls. Right. Speaking to other trolls. It's kind of like, like, oh, Dothraki has no word for thank you. Whatever. That doesn't, it's like, it doesn't, like, even if that's technically true, like, it doesn't mean that they don't have the emotion of gratitude. Right, exactly, like, and, yeah, it's just, it's just bizarre. I really, I really seriously could do a whole episode about it. Um, Maybe one day if I can't do an episode. Yeah, 
something like that. Um, so, Briska and GA end their conversation. Uh, Briska just signs off without saying anything, and then logs back in to, like, <laughs> berate herself for letting GA get the last word. Yeah. Um, so then she, um, then she sort of stomps off downstairs to go check on her Lucis, and she's thinking, um, God, they're can't be a single kid on this planet with a more high-maintenance Lucis than mine, which is really funny because she's super wrong. (laughs) She's, you have, y'all have no way of knowing this, but I don't think it's a huge spoiler to, like, just foreshadow at you. She's super wrong. Like, super hilariously wrong. I mean, not knowing that, I don't blame her for thinking because this is a very high-maintenance Lucis if it needs constant uh, sacrifices. It's very high maintenance. Um, we do get to see it next up. Um, it's bigger than her house. It's very big. It's just a regular spider. Well, like with a toothy mouth, but, um, it's bigger than her house, which is not a small house. Considerably. Like it's, it's like twice the size of her house. It's like the, I don't even know like what you would, compared to. It's like the size of an apartment building. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Like a big, like, it's the size of one of those apartment complexes that's like four towers. Yeah. It's like that big. And, um, so for scale, Riska's house and Centaur's testicles house are two towers on two spires with like a valley in between and the, the like the valley, it's like the pit really is mm-hmm. where Spider Mom lives. Yeah, and it's just kind of just big enough for her. Right. And above her is... So one of the interests that we didn't mention of Riska's before is she's an apocalypse buff and she builds doomsday devices. Right. Um, so she's got one that she's been working on for a mysterious member of the aquatic elite. And uh, it's still a work in progress. She gets a lot of help from Centaur's testicle on it because he's good with machines. And it's suspended by chains over, like, the pit where her Lucis lives. Mm-hmm. That's important later. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and so Aradia and, sorry, Riska and uh, Robot Guy are neighbors. And, uh, now that we and quote, are... And quote-unquote, as long as we're in the neighborhood. <laughs> as long as we're in the neighborhood, we might as well introduce Equius. Equius Zahak. He's awful. He's real Zahak. bad. The hack, yeah. Their, na- their the last names never come up again, so like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, Equius sucks. Um, but it's re- it's really funny. Um, he wants to be an arch eradicator, um, but he is too strong to uh, shoot an arrow because he snaps the bows in half whenever he tries. Can I just say that you, the words that you wrote were he breaks every bow he tries to arrow. Yeah, bow and arrow. Oh, you bow and arrow. Uh, not really. I know. It's the, other way, it's the other way around. I know, but I thought that was funny. Thanks. Yeah. Um, he's he's a very strong boy, is the thing. He is, in fact, freakishly strong. Um, and his Lucis Arthur, or Orthur. Our, uh, Arthur uh, is Arthur with a bunch of extra uh, letters. Yeah. Well, two extra letters. In, like, a jokingly, uh, like, French kind of way. Yeah. 
It's fine. What's wrong with it? Like, it's, I don't, it's just, like, hard to pronounce, really. Arthur. 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 Okay. That's fine. Um, we already talked about his, uh, his, his posters, which are priceless masterpieces painted in the oldest and most respected Alternian tradition of nude muscle beast portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very angry all the time. And the way that he manages that, which I actually thought was one of his less creepy, like, ways of dealing with things, is like, if you know that you have a ton of pent-up rage, uh-huh. one thing you could do is become a terribly violent person towards other le- living beings. I, You know, you could, like, I don't know, f- do dog fighting or something. But he just builds robots and beats the shit out of them. Right. Um, which is, like, fine. Yeah, in, like, in cage matches, you know, it's hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Like, so okay. yeah, so he actually has um, three strifes specify. Uh, one is a broken bow, which is what all his bows turn into. The other ones, <laughs> it's bows, one, but they're impossible to use. Kind. Yeah, it's one half bow kind. Um, and then regular bows, but he can't use them because they'll turn into one half bow kind. Uh, and his third specifus is just fist. Fist kind. It's not literally just fist. That would, right, that would fist, be funny though. It's fist kind. Um, for practical use. Um, <laughs> Arthur brings him a glass of Lucis milk from his own udders. Yeah, how does he milk himself? Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not that long. Don't worry about it. It's okay, it's fine. Uh, he kind of um, looks like he's made of, like, squishy rubber, so maybe he's just very stretchy. He does. He is. Um, Equius tries to give him, a, like, a gentle pat. We later learn that Orthur's species is the strongest Lucis species on the planet, which seems absurd given that we just saw a Lucis the size of a house, but whatever. We'll take their word for it. Um. Right. Yeah. Um, he does have big biceps, I guess. Yeah, he's got, he's got a six-pack and, like, very defined pecs, <laughs> I should mention. Yeah. And nipples. And nipples. Uh, to go with his udders. <laughs> exactly. So, so many, like... Secondary sex characteristics flying around here, left and right. Um, Equius tries to give him a gentle pat and uh, leaves a hand-shaped, like, he gives him a five-star, basically, on his head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, and the, the narration just says, seriously, he's like a soft summer peach. <laughs> Which I actually, like, this exchange is like, I guess the domesticity of it, it it's like weirdly touching for me. It is. Yeah, it was strange, um, and kind of the most humanizing um, thing about CT so far. Yeah, it's so like this is kind of what I was saying about this this comic. Like, as as lazy as the writing is sometimes, and as focused on like machinations and like plot driven elements as it is, the characterization is really good when it wants to be. Yeah, I guess like the thing that is frustrating is the um, device of uh, introducing characters as complete monsters and then humanizing them, uh, which kind of, like, draws attention away from the fact that they are still complete monsters. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, it's... You start with them... We're, we're going to see this with a couple of characters, where we we start with them at their worst and then watch them evolve. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, like, evolving is fine. Like, starting at their worst and then learning mm-hmm. to be better is fine. Um, it just feels, like, I guess just personally, I feel kind of, like, tricked, I guess, when um, 
like I see this domestic scene with this person that I absolutely hated, and then I suddenly feel like, oh, okay, like he's you know, he's nice to this person, um, and then I then I look back and I'm like, wait a second, I like I legitimately hated him for a good reason before I read this, and I just kind of forgot about that for a second, and I feel like I've been tricked by the text. That's legit. I I think that's and that's absolutely like what's going on like and I think I kind of I agree that it's disingenuous to the point of like poor creative integrity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I think I think there's a strong argument to be made that like that you shouldn't do that as a writer. I think it's unfair to your reader and like it kind of um it sort of implies on some level, like, a, a forgiveness of the character's bad actions because you're then painting them in this, like, tender or positive or, like, at least human light. Yeah, and it's not to say that, like, characters who do horrible things can't be, like, redeemed or, like, even just empathized with. Right. Um, it just kind of is, like, a really shorthand and... Um, lazy, I guess. Just lazy way to do that. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. It, it's it's not earned. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we don't have to I think that's, talk about this at length. I, I Well, I think we've already talked about it at length and, and we've sort at of... More length. We'll talk about it yes. much more as we as we move forward and I think I'm, I'm interested in how our viewpoints on this evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's drinking this milk from his butler, um, and he's His butler, who boss. is his Lucis. Right. And he won. Uh, who's, who's the best butler. He's the best. Um, and he smashes, like, he, he destroys the glass in his hand. As usual. And throws it on the floor. Yeah. Um, then there's, like, some throwaway stuff where we actually learn about his strife specibus. And then mm-hmm. he, uh... Then we're reminded that the next thing that happens from this chronological perspective is his really unsettling manipulative chat with Nepeta where he just like shuts her down when she wants to go play this game with her friends and he's like, you won't because they are of lower caste and that's not, I'm not okay with it. Right. Um, and he says like he considers her a friend. Like he's like, oh, like go talk to your friend. Uh, um, he says that he considers her his friend, and then he's going to talk to someone else. And and uh, the reason that, that the linguistic, what they're about to say is, the in troll language, the word for friend is exactly the same as the word for enemy. Because he's about to go talk to someone who he talks to every day. He finds talking to him, like, comforting, and yet he hates him. Mm-hmm. Uh... Which means we're about to have a really super uncomfortable conversation with Gamzee. It's... So, this, like, start... I started out super uncomfortable with this. Because it is. <laughs> um, but it, like, it went so, like, deep into the bit that it just became hilarious. It, like, devolves into really confused, one-sided sexting. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Okay, it's not so ex- it's not explicit. It's uh, Alex. It's just like so. The gist is that um, Gamzy is actually in the caste system that uh, Equius prescribes to, subscribes to, uh, uh, um, subscribes or yeah, subscribes to. Um, 
Gamzee's actually like higher up even than uh, Equius. Right. And so it infuriates Equius that Gamzee doesn't act the way he should and doesn't uh, treat lower people with disdain. Uh, and he actually wants Gamzee to treat him with disdain because that affirms the hierarchy. Which ends up being, like, this weird... They're sort of, like... like It's, like, non-sexual, like... It's non-sexual, but it's, like... Yeah, it's... But, yeah, it, it's, but like, it's really super creepy because Gamzee doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on and it's just like yeah. sort of sort of like he's very amiable about the whole thing. So, <laughs> but, so what happens first is um Equius is like, you will stop talking like that. And Gamzee's like, I will? Whoa, can you predict the future? Yeah. Which is how he talks. Yeah. Um and then Equius is immediately like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry, I like I didn't mean to order you around. I can't speak to you like that. Like please like berate me for that. Uh, and then he just kind of devolves into, uh, like, begging Gamzee to, like, boss him around and, like, speak down to him. And just kind of, like, not literally, but kind of metaphorically getting off on it. Like, Gamzee's like, did that work? Like, is that what you wanted? And he's like, yes, yes. <laughs> it's so gross! He's, like, he's sweating. He's, like, exp- he, he always has a towel over his shoulder, Equius, because <laughs> he's very, very sweaty on top of being very, very strong. And it's like, oh man, it's the cringiest thing. It's super cringy. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, but an actual thing that I want to, like, think about a little bit here. This episode's going to run super long. Do we maybe want to cut this one in half? No, it's okay. We can, I mean, we can cut, like, five minutes from uh, your conversation and typing Looking for stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah, a bunch of it. I think easily like twenty minutes of this call have been pre-episode me looking stuff up and then my parents. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right, so we're, we're we're sort of coming up to the end of the thing anyway. Um, I guess I'll try and breeze through this point really quickly. But um, I was kind of wondering, like, on this reread, where does Equius actually get this cast fetishism from? Because there aren't schools or families that can like, enculturate people. Uh, or um, maybe there are schools, but we don't see them. And and so my hypothesis is, like, these kids have access to the internet, and, like, they have access yeah. to tons of media, and so my theory is it's, like, especially the caste system is present if you decide to engage with it at this point in history. Like, it's not actively right. superimposed. Yeah. And so, of course, if that caste system favors you for so, you know, uncomfortable white supremacist notes here... Um, mm-hmm. but if that caste system favors you personally, you're going to gravitate towards, you know, that, that grand cultural history or whatever in a way that like, you don't see like Carcat or Solux talking about, you know, right. Old... Unless you're high out of your mind, like Gamzee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so then. But it actually, an interesting thing also is like Equius has a huge crush on Aradia. That's super who, important, yes. Who is uh, Red Blood, which is apparently the lowest, but he's uh, confounded by her because she uh, comports herself very ladylike. Uh, and he is like, why do I feel this way about such a lowly peasant? And he's like reveling in the lavishness of it. Like, yeah, how how like illicit it is. And it's like, it's gross. It's hilarious, though. Like, it's, yeah, it's gross. 
Um, then there's, he has a conversation with, um, Briska, which is, like, their exchange is really funny. Basically, like, he's slightly higher caste than her, and so he, like, won't tolerate her, like, shit, but he just, like, he can be so deadpan, and, like, it's really funny, because it's, like, like, Briska is so, like, she's, she's, like, a small, excited dog, and it's, like, a small, excited dog, like, running into a wall a bunch of times, and, like, bouncing off, and, like, flipping over, and... But, like, at the same time trying to be all, like, cunning. And, like, it's just, it's, like, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and it's really funny that, like, both of them are saying, like, oh, like, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to take the leadership from Aradia. Uh, neither of us have any, like, alter- ulterior motives or, like, other plans, right? Nope. Me? Not me. No, me neither. So we're all good, right? We're all good. Uh, but both obviously know that the other is, like, not telling the truth there. Yeah, so, so, the most, there's a ton of plots going on in here, and most of them aren't super important, so I won't really delve into them, but, um, the, the most important thing is, so, we learned from some narration before that we didn't mention on the podcast, but, uh, from some narration when Aradia enters the game, that, um, Equius has a gift for her, that he's going to have to deliver in person, because they don't have enough grist to alchemize it, so he's actually going to have to use the second gate on his world once he enters the game and bring it to her in person. Mm-hmm. What Vriska thinks is going on is that the gift was her idea um, to sort of get into Aradia's good graces. And whereas Equius has the exact same intentions of using it to get into her good graces, um, Vriska thinks that it's her idea. She's just contracting with Equius to like help her pull it off. And what's about to happen is Equius is going to deliver it to her like before anybody enters the game. He's just going to, you know jump across the pit, however he's going to do that, and, and bring it to her. It's, uh, but, um, he then goes back into his shop, and he's, like, about to go check out the gift, and, um, the narration informs us that you, of course, have no intention of delivering it to your neighbor as promised. You naturally will double-cross your accomplice, just as you assume she has plans to double-cross you. You assume she is assuming the same of you. Business as usual for Blue Bloods. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, let us remind you also that Aradia knows exactly what's going on with all of this. Yeah, she just doesn't care. Yeah, she, 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 uh, I think she's aware that Equius is ultimately going to make the power grab, and, um, she doesn't care because she wants to enter the game second anyway. Yeah. So. Um, then we find out what the gift is, which is super disturbing. <laughs> so it's a robot, uh, Aradia body. With blue-blooded um, makeup. Whatever that right. means. Like, the same color as, as Equius's stuff. Yeah, so... So it's... it. I'm not sure who who knows that she's a ghost and who doesn't know. Yeah, so that was my thing, too. How This is meant to be, like, a prosthetic body for her. Um, mm-hmm. Since she's a ghost. So how does he know that she's a ghost? I don't remember how he knows that, so... Either this is an inconsistency or he's got info and we don't know how he has it yet. Maybe he, maybe he thinks he's building her like a dream bot or something. Maybe. I have no idea. That's all I can think of. Yeah. He like, so then he like 
he dips the robot to like kiss her and there's this like sappy monologue and it's like but it's it's really disgusting like your heart will pump no more of that despicable red sludge you have been given a new heart you can be taught yeah. the ways of the class you were always went for you were always meant for be for the first time in your meaningless life you have met a man with true compassion and like ah yeah ma! uh and then he uh, glances aside and sees another robot staring blankly at him, and he's like, what are you looking at? And punches it out the wall. Punches it out the wall, punches it through a window, uh, where it explodes over, like, the chasm between his and Briska's house. Which dislodges the Doomsday device. Which, so the Doomsday device is broken. Um, remember, it was a work in progress. It doesn't actually detonate. This is done, actually, I should note, it's very excellent and suspenseful. It plays out over a number of panels, but mm-hmm. there's no point recapping that to you. So yeah, it it, um, it shorts out, but it shakes a chain loose and like whacks into Equius's house, which knocks a bunch of rock out of his spire, crushes Vriska's Lucis, and presumably rattles his house enough to shake Arthur out a window somewhere as well, because the last panel that we're going to talk about this week is Arthur plummeting down into the pit. Yeah, yep. So very suspenseful uh, cliffhanger. Literally. Um, And also in this sequence, there is a link to a, what seems to be a uh, midnight crew and uh, sleuth. Problem sleuth. So it's it's not actually a crossover. I think this this went down um, as part of like a special donation initiative during Problem Sleuth. Um, And the midnight crew are originally from Problem Sleuth. Oh, uh, okay, right, yeah. right. Um, so, and it's all about, like, what the Doomsday device actually is, which I found super interesting, and, like, the graphics are kind of cool, so you should, we'll have a, li- a link to it, in that, as mentioned, on our I had no idea post. what was going on. When you, when you I, read it? I just, like, looked at the page, I didn't know what was going on, and so I continued with the real comic. Oh, okay. Um, it's fun. It's, it's designed not to actually have any impact on the Problem Sleuth storyline, so you, you can parse it perfectly fine. It's just, like, a random throwaway. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was this device that has to do with attacks? It's, it's fun to read. I'll I'll include it in the as mentioned. Nice, nice, nice. And, um... That's our reading. That's the end of the show, except for the questions. (laughs) <laughs> it's not the end of the show. It's not the end of the show. Um, while Alex cues up the questions, I will tell you how to ask us them, which is if you want to ask us a question, um, go to hamsteakpodcast.tumblr.com and send us an ask, or mention us on Twitter where we are at hamsteakpodcast, or if it's too long, you could send a DM on Twitter, or if you think there's a spoiler, this is important, are you paying attention? If you think that your ask has a spoiler, that you can ask those questions. I will, like, filter them through my, like, spoiler-negating vision. Um, but you gotta send it to me personally. I'm Brickchip, B-R-I-C-K-C-H-I-P, on Tumblr and Twitter. Obviously, don't send me a mention on Twitter, because everyone can see those. Send me a DM or send me an ask. We got some questions this week or no? We do. Um, our first question today comes from Tumblr user, Two Hearts, One Man, who says... Ah, that's a so Doctor I... Who reference. Could be. Uh, so I just recently got caught up to the most recent episode, and I just want to say I love hearing you two talk individually. I love hearing how you two individually interpret Homestuck and the off-topic conversations you guys have. 
As a rereader, I love listening to all the little tidbits I'd forgotten and learning of stuff that I'd managed to miss. Anyway, my questions are, what is an obscure way to figure out if someone is a homestuck? And if you were a troll, describe what type of leucis you'd have. Um, so, when I got this question, I immediately thought, obviously a dog. I have a dog leucis. And then I immediately realized that uh, Becquerel is a Lucis type thing. Yeah. Because obviously. <laughs> I hadn't made that connection before. Aw. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay, I also want to say thank you for saying a bunch of nice stuff, and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. <laughs> uh, and thanks for listening and everything. Uh, what would my Lucis be? Um, Probably a horse, honestly, because like, as a child, I was like, big, big horse girl. Super big horse really? girl. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Because you know how, like, every girl is either, like, a horse girl or a wolf girl? Right. I was, I was a horse girl. I made... Nice. Well, as a horse, and, like, especially, like, a unicorn girl. <laughs> um, at one point, I, 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 I was eight years old. I remember this very specifically. I was eight. And I spent a whole day pawing through... This was before Google Image Search was particularly good. So I was pawing through the Microsoft clip art gallery for every picture of a unicorn I could find. Oh and I put them all on one, like, big page in PowerPoint with, like, a pretty, like, purple background. And then I got all excited when my dad came home because he brought home that, like, iron-on transfer paper. And I was going to print it out on the transfer paper and make a unicorn t-shirt. And I did, and I printed it out, and my dad ironed it on. And he turned the iron on way too hot, and it came out all brown. Oh, no. I was so sad. I was like, I can't wear this. Oh. Yeah. That's a sad good story thanks um mine would be a dog but specifically um when i was like 14 i think i used to have this um character which was basically like this um coyote spirit like it was like the um like the protector of this wasteland setting that i was you've told making a story in. oh man we've talked about this this was your um like seeing eye spirit. No, this is a no. That was a original OC copyright Alex twenty fourteen or something. Okay. This is like something from way in the past. It, yeah, but like I, thought, little, I thought that this inspired that. No, 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 no. That was a little fox. Okay. That like has a tail that wraps around your arm and like tugs you in the direction you want to go. Okay. This is a coyote and it's like big. It's like as tall as an elephant, but it's like very uh, like skinny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has, like, big, like, pupilless slit eyes that, like, pierce through the fog. Okay. Uh, Sounds dope. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's that's what loses. That's super cool. I hope you don't have to, like, feed it human beings or something. I don't think so. That's a good question. Uh, oh, and then um, low-key ways to find out if someone is a homestuck? Uh, say, I like your shoelaces. Uh, yeah. No, okay, so the ways that I usually find out are, um, wear your Homestuck shirt. That's actually how I made one of my best friends in college. Like, I, I met a, a whole group of friends by, this sounds so lame, but I wore a Homestuck shirt into the dining hall one of, like, the first days of school, and I was busy, like, I didn't get along with people on my floor. I was like, I'm not making any friends here. This sucks. 
And um, this girl, like, and props to this girl for being super friendly, but she came up to me and she was like, I like your shirt. And she noticed that I had, like, cut the sleeves and she was like, did you do that yourself? And I was like, yes. And uh, we, like, chatted for a while. Um, And then she went and grabbed her friend and I talked to him for a while and then I, like, hung out with their friends and then I ended up, like, subletting from them briefly and, like, I don't know, we still chat. Like, they're good people. And I met them through my Homestuck shirt. They're not actually really Homestucks, though. Um... So, that's sort of a side note, but, like, I don't know, Homestuck brings people together, that's a fun story I like to tell. Um, honestly, like, do, like, the shirts are nice, uh, and they're, like, they're really classy looking, they just have, like, a plain symbol on them, so, like, it's not, it's not, like, walking around with, like, a big doofy, like, it's not like you're wearing a big sign on your head that says, I am a geek, to, like, anybody, um, which is kind of nice, people probably just assume that it's a band symbol, if you're into being low-key about that kind of stuff, which there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be okay about that stuff. Um, you can just kind of, like, there's a bunch of, like, I don't know, sometimes you'll hear people, like, drop, like, a figure of speech that gets used in this comic a lot that, like, worms its way into, um, into your subconscious. Like, a lot of times I'll think of the, like, the construction, like, the, the X has the Y, but, like, has... The ex, right. like, the big man has the ball. Just, like, or, like, little things like that are just, like, it keeps happening. I don't know. Mostly, mm. though, like, I don't know, go on the internet. Or, like, just ask them. Like, if if you know that they read a lot of, like, online comics, be like, do you read Homestuck? Like, you could just ask a person. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I Like, I, I get the, like, the idea behind this ask. Like, um, when I was in, like, late high school, early like, first year of college, I would, like, want to know if people were, like, nerd fighters or what have you. Um, But for the most part, I think just, like, get to know people, and if they, if you bring up Homestuck and they know what it is and they've read it, cool, and if they haven't, maybe it's something you can introduce them to. I think, like, choosing your friends based on what their fandoms are is, like, kind of a backwards way to go about it. Strong agree. Yeah, so that's that's another thing, is that, um, so I did happen to meet some really great people because I happened to be wearing a Homestuck shirt, but they're not actually very strongly engaged with Homestuck, like, they, like, used to read it and, like, would catch up occasionally and weren't really involved. I did know some people on campus who wore Homestuck shirts, and, like, I knew wore Homestucks and, like, were pretty vocal about it, and they were, like... We were not friend compatible at whatsoever at all. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, choosing people via fandom is not good. But also, you would be very surprised if you just meet people through however you meet them and they get to know them. You often will end up liking a lot of the same stuff because that it's all affinity grouping and. Yeah. Um. If you if you really do want to like, obscurely figure out like if someone's a homestuck, um, you could wear gray face paint and like put candy corn in your hair. Uh, and then if they get it, they're probably homestuck. And if they don't, they're a normie. They're a prep. They're a muggle. <laughs> they're a prep. <laughs> God. Um, our next question comes from the shows with the feels and the stuff on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Who says, you thought that the Pollux caster thing was it. That's just a scratch on the surface. Did you know that Nepeta is a type of catnip? Yeah, so here's the thing. I know that there's really complicated etymology behind all of the trolls' names. I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, I kind Not of, to dismiss I, you, it's interesting. 
I, I just am not usually recounting it because it's sure. it's not plot relevant, and we're always pressed for time. Sure, yeah, I think it's fun. Um, I didn't know the Nepeta thing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool to like think about what each of the troll names are meant to be because there is obviously thought put into them. There is, and if you so if you're okay with spoilers, look them up on the MSPA wiki which I can't recommend enough, as long as you either have read it before or I don't care about spoilers, there's, a, like, detailed breakdowns of all of their name meanings and origins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, our last question comes from Anonymous on Tumblr, who says, I hear Alex doesn't like ICP. Boy, howdy, will he have a fun time further in the comic. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if Lydia has read that far, but if so, then she knows how 2017 will turn out. Oh, no. Um... I just want to say on the record, I've never said that I didn't like ICP. I'm just, like, not familiar with them very much. I'm not an active listener of their music. Yeah, I mean, they're super cringy, but, like, in kind of a fun way. Yeah, I I find the camaraderie of the Juggalo community endearing, possibly, or charming, if it's not, like, people doing bad stuff, which I don't know if... Juggalos really do that. That might just be a stereotype. I don't think Juggalos generally do bad stuff. I've mostly heard about Juggalos being, like, good and supportive people, actually. Yeah. So. I, so, I knew some Juggalos in high school. How, how They're all you, wonderful, dare, sweet people. How dare you slander me? Basically. How dare you? And that's the end. <laughs> uh, we're real people. Is that, is that our episode title? How dare you? <laughs> um, it's a little short. It's a little too too on the nose. I think, I think we're going to have to dig a little deeper. something else. Yeah. It's got to be a three word episode title. It's just like, mm. unless it's got a lot of, a lot of weight to it. Like I thought hypercube, no better. It's a good one. <laughs> um, so yes or no. Do you know what 2017 alludes to? Um, I mean, I like, <sighs> yes or no. Uh, yeah. Okay. And that's <laughs> the show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Oh, um, find us on the internet. I'm Brickchip, B-R-I-C-K-C-H-I-P, like the word brick, then the word chip, on Tumblr and on Twitter, and where can people find you? I'm Leaf Crunch on Tumblr and Crunch Leaf on Twitter. It's true, it's all true. Um, and we are Hamsteak Podcast on Tumblr and on Twitter, and ask us your questions, and episodes come out on Monday, and we're, we don't say this stuff normally, but I'm trying to like start saying it. We're in the iTunes store. You can subscribe to things there. You can rate stuff there. It's true. There. It's all true. It, like, you, you, you don't have to, but, like, if you like it, you could. That's it. Yeah. And we also have a Libsyn page if you don't want to use iTunes. Yep. Um, it's uh, hamsteakpodcast.libsyn.com, and that's uh, liberated syndication, L-A-B-S-Y-N. Yep. Dot com for commercial. Because this is a business. This is a very serious, monetized operation. No. No. Um, no, we do this out of the goodness of our... Or the, the goodness? Is it goodness? Or the blatant narcissism? Or just, like, <laughs> like really, really, like, insatiable need to poke and prod at minutia? Like... Ness of our hearts. Yes. Yeah. Alright, bye. Bye!